0: i nice hey, yeah. nice did you, have a you, yeah. Are you talking oh, friends? I not <laughs> oh, <well, goodnight laughs> myself. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> but you did. i heard a bunch of pictures, uh, so. you told did you did. pictures looks like it's 9.55 and we got a lot to talk about today, so I think. Most of the class gathered here, so anyone object? I'm, I move that we go ahead and start. Any, any, I ej- any it objections? It. i second <laughs> <say it> that. <laughs> all right, second. So, yeah, all in favor, All We've right. got, 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 got quorum. We can do this today. Well, today we're going to be uh, in the book of Hebrews. We're actually going to go through the 13th verse, and uh, when Mitch uh, takes up uh, Hebrews 5, he's actually going to start with the last few verses of Hebrews 4, which are talking about Jesus as a faithful high priest, because really the people who divided the Bible way on back there, I think they kind of missed that division that chapter 5 should have started right at the, after 4.13, but you know, they didn't get everything right. It's all the right stuff is there, the verse numbers weren't inspired, and so that's where they started. So Mitch and I made an executive decision, but that's where that's going to start, and uh, you'll be teaching us on, uh, on, on Wednesday night, starting with the lesson on Hebrews 5. Um, let's all bow together. Let's uh, start this uh, morning's lesson with prayer, if you would. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the book of Hebrews, for, for this class that is gathered together here today, and for all those who are watching. Uh, may we, Father, be learners of your word. May we learn the lessons that you're teaching us here. I ask you, Father, for affecting for this as a teacher today. ask the students to that, they, that we might uh, all work together, Father, to truly understand the blessings that we have in Jesus, as are revealed here in Hebrews four. Thank you for all you do for us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, on Wednesday night, we really uh, we saw this this ending to Hebrews chapter three, where the writer summarizes everything about this example of the Israelites who did not. Go on and obey God and cross over into Canaan. And he summarizes that with these three rhetorical questions, which he gives an answer to each one of those. And the very last verse of the chapter, he says, So we see they could not enter into his rest, excuse me, because of unbelief. And, and we kind of had a depressing conversation about that, didn't we? Talking about the effects of unbelief on somebody's life is a really tough conversation. And uh, we fortunately have to turn that um, in, uh, as we turn to chapter 4. So let's look at the flip side of that coin. We see the effect that unbelief leads to rebellion, which leads to God's wrath, which leads to punishment. And that's what that whole chapter 3 example is about out of Psalms 95. But when we flip that coin over, we see, well, if unbelief leads to all these bad things, where does belief lead? Where does belief in God's Word? And so we talked about when we believe God's Word, when we recognize that belief originates, almost like Sean was talking about today, it originates from understanding exactly what did God say and ask of me. And then, we have to add something to that, right? We Remember remember the formula for good outcomes in life with respect to God? It is the Gospel, God's Word, the Good News mixed together with what? Faith. Faith, with our belief. And how do we know if the Gospel is mixing together with faith appropriately? How do we know, how do, how do we know with the Israelites it was inappropriate, it wasn't mixing together? What happened with them when, they, when the Gospel was preached but they didn't mix it with faith? What happened? Rebellion against God. Taking the wrong actions. So therefore, what happens when you take God's Word and mix it together with faith? Obedience to God. Moving forward and doing what God asks. Belief is not just something in the mind, remember. Belief is something that expresses itself in actions. And so we talked about that, and that belief prompts that obedience. But there's something even bigger than it prompts. It prompts trust. When God asks us to do something hard, what He asks the Israelites to do is hard those are giants. When belief prompts trust, then we can go ahead and act even in the face of something that's hard and something that may even scare us in doing that. We finished up on Wednesday night and we really were kind of little over halfway through the concepts on this slide. We were talking about this concept that gets introduced very early in chapter four of God's rest. In fact... God's rest is talked about in almost every verse in chapter 4 all the way through verse 13. And we noted that when the Bible uses a word or a phrase or a concept over and over and over again in a very short space, what is God doing for us when he gives us that? He's so underlining, He put a big highlighter on it. This is a concept you need to understand. And so we're trying to stop and understand this. We actually had a conversation. What did, How would we define rest? What comes to our minds when we talk about rest? Um, and what, came, what might have come to the Hebrews' mind in their culture when they talked about rest? And we talked about this peace, stopping a task, completing something, taking quiet time, vacation, retirement. All those kind of things come into, in, into play there. And as we finished up the lesson last time, we were asking the question: When God rested, since this is God's rest, and we're entering into God's rest with Him, does God need? Does God stop working? Does God has God got everything done He needs to have done? And so, did that actually happen in creation? Did God, when He finished creation, was He done? He kept, he kept on working, so it's not bad. Did God need some recovery time? He expended all that energy in creation. No, He didn't need me he didn't, he didn't that. Did God retire? You know? When Jesus came, did He retire and just turn all over to Jesus? I'm done, so I'm taking a little break. You know, that's, how, that's what happened at work when I left. Turned it over to my successor. I'm done. I'm not worried about this work anymore. Have at it none of those things characterize how God entered His rest. And so, we might make the mistake of characterizing how we enter God's rest if we use those same terms. And that was really the point of looking at that exercise. So, if that's not the case, maybe since this writer spent so much time talking about the rebellion against them entering into Canaan, maybe that means God's rest is a place. Is God's rest a place? No. It's not. How do we know that Canaan really wasn't, as a place, the definition of God's rest? We know from what the author told us later in verse 8. Did they eventually get there? Well, that generation didn't, but who did get there? The next generation plus Joshua and Caleb and their families, right? They got there. Did they enter the land? They entered the land. Did they get God's rest? What's what's, what's verse 8 say? If Joshua would have truly offered them rest, then it would not have said later, another day. Another day. That was not God's rest. So that place Canaan, the author said, the fact that that next generation got Canaan didn't mean that that generation got God's rest. In fact, he said they didn't. Joshua didn't provide that for them. What other place that you and I connect God's rest to when we think about this? Heaven. Heaven. Exactly. A final resting we, 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 we think of it an, and is it true we will rest together with God in heaven? Will these be the words we use about that rest? I don't think so. been used about God, so we don't think we're used about us. But, but it's almost like heaven's a retirement home sometimes, right? But we're done here. But we're going to continue to worship Him. Uh, and work. There's a lot of things that are there. And so, so I, I don't want to remove the thought of heaven from your mind, but in all honesty, chapter 4 of Hebrews is not talking about persevering until we get to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, if we, if we interpret it like that, I think we lose one of the most powerful parts here that he's trying to tell a group of people who are being persecuted, tempted to give up, to turn away from Christ, to understand how they can withstand that temptation. It's not just keep your mind on heaven and just take whatever comes at you next. Well that is true and I can't I can't argue against that statement, that's not the case. So what is he therefore talking about? Well I'm gonna to admit to you and and uh, I think you and I have what an hour and an hour and a half of Mitch conversation by the car Wednesday night mm-hmm. about this concept after we get home? Yep. Yeah. I've read Hebrews a lot of times. I've been a Christian for forty five years. I've read Hebrews a lot of times in there. What we're about to talk about today, I never got until I started studying for this today. Okay? What does that tell me? I think I need to be a better student of the Bible. Because it was here the whole time. And so I tried to look at this once I started seeing this and go, well, hold it, Is what what the Hebrew writer is trying to say to us really true? Let me be a better student. So you know, sometimes it's not just good enough to read your Bible. That's, that's a great starting place. We have to do that every day. But sometimes you have to study your Bible. And what are the tools you teachers that people use to study? We take notes, we review things, we meditate on things, we try to connect things to other things. So I said, maybe Greg needs to write down a list of everything that's said about this rest. So I did. Okay, I know this is a very dense page, but this is what was said about God's rest in chapter 4. He said a promise of entering remains. He said fear lest you shall fall short of it. We'll talk about that in a second. He said it requires faith in verse 2. He said it's for those who believe. And we already talked about what this belief is, an active belief. It was finished from the foundation of the world. There's an interesting connection there between when God rested at the foundation of the world and whatever this is. God's seventh day rest was connected to that. Verses 4 and verse 10 say that. Some must enter. That word, when you read the verse there, is must. Somebody's going to go into God's rest. It's not going to be left empty. Disobedience kept out the Israelites. It can be entered today whatever David meant by today. That's what the author says. David said today. What does that mean? It was given by it was not given by Joshua. We've talked about that. It remains, it's still there, it's still available for the people of God. And it requires diligence to enter. Now I looked at that list and said, well, okay, that's that's a real that's a really good list. But if you if you think about this we, we, we could apply this list to heaven, right? What, what about this list doesn't apply to heaven? In fact, we, I'll say we, but I really mean I when I say that, because I really don't know what you think. You've come to all of this, unless you talk to me about that. So we and I is the same thing here. I'm, I'm putting me right here. Sometimes I look at my life as a Christian as here's what I've got to do. I've got to get myself out of Egyptian bondage today. That's sin, right? The bondage of sin. As a Christian, I escaped the bondage of sin when I obey Jesus. I need to struggle through the desert to make it to Jordan's banks. It's even more real. I'm living am living Phoenix now. But I need to struggle to get across the desert to do that. And one day I'm going to cross the River Jordan and go to Jordan, from Jordan to Stormy Banks and I'm going, to, I'm going to enter the Promised Land. I'm going to get God's rest. That's how I thought about my life in those things. And that analogy holds. I mean, the, that, that Canaanite wandering, those things are there. Do you, you know we've seen, we seen that story? To Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul never dies. So heaven is Canaan. On, Jordan, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cash a wistful eye. i looking across there. I'm bound for the promised land. Won't you come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Guide me, O oh, thou great Jehovah, pilgrims through this barren land. Here we are pasturing pilgrims. This analogy permeates us that we that, that we learn to think about that. There's this thing sitting out there one day that's so great, and it is, heaven, that we just have to survive this life however we can in order to get there and do that. But I made a key mistake when I was making this list in my mind every time I read it when I wrote it down here. So I'm going to correct that mistake for you, and it comes out of our story. He didn't say, let's just flip back here, He did say, when I summarized it, it's for those who believe. But he actually said something way more specific. For we who have believed, what? Do enter that rest. There's a whole different Greek word he would have used if he would have meant will enter that rest. There's a whole different way he would have said it. He said, we may enter that rest if we can just survive this Christian life struggle in this world. He said, we do enter that rest. Okay, so look around. When you were baptized, does this look like heaven yet? He's not talking about that. He must be talking about something else. And that was kind of the Oh wow, moment! It's like he's talking about—he's not telling me to survive till I get to heaven. He's telling me something about today. Something about I have a promise that I can realize now. Is that true? We'll talk about that. We can have something now, and what this author calls it, because that's what David called it in the psalm, he calls it God's rest. Joe? Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's the church. I would certainly have to think, you think something might involve being involved with that? Well, let's explore this a little bit. Let's talk about, see if we can look at some of these verses and see what, exactly what he says about this. God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. I have to move pretty quick here, but when you hear the word promise connected with the discussion that has Old Testament Israelites in it and Old Testament in there, what's something you think about when you hear about promise that God made? one of the most famous promises God made. Abraham. He promised Abraham. Promises land, sea promise, great nation, um, and promised him a son. All four of those things. that God carried through on all those promises. He did. Some in his lifetime and some after. So that promise is not talking about Abraham's promise, but it's illustrative. When God makes a promise God's able to to keep it and understand it. Secondly, He said He made us a promise or He made a promise and it remains of entering His rest. So let us fear. Oops. There's There's that flip side of that coin there. Let us fear lest you seem to have come short of it. We know what happened to those people who came short of getting God's rest in Israel. Let us fear now. Just a quick side lesson here. A lot of times we want to talk about the motivation of seeing what's in store for us in heaven as a motivator to keep us on the straight and narrow, and it absolutely is. No argument with that. What's another motivator that this that the bigger author has pointed out here? Fear. Fear. Yeah, what happens if you, you're an d- unbeliever? Yeah. You don't fear God. You don't fear God. Did the Israelites learn to fear God? Uh-huh. They did the hard way at the end, yeah. right? Yes. They learned his wrath because they didn't learn to fear God in doing that. These two things are bound up together in the rest of this in the rest of this chapter here. That the understanding of who God is and what he can do if you don't believe him, and the understanding of what he will do if you do believe in doing that. Jason. This ties exactly in with the scriptures I read this morning, uh, Acts 9 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, rest, and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It ties directly in with that. It's, without a doubt. But think about what Jesus said in Matthew 10 27, just to add to that. he said t- When he was telling his apostles, how they were going to have to act when they when he was not with them. He said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. And then he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He's telling them to go out and preach the gospel. He says, When you're doing this, don't fear those who can don't fear men, what they can do. God's got, God's got you. No, he, he finished that sentence. Fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul. The promise of God's rest is a two-edged sword that we'll talk about in a minute. And it both is a promise for those who believe, and it is a condemnation for those who choose not to. Motivation by wanting to be obedient children of God as well as the motivation of not wanting to be on the other side of that where God's punishment is coming down on us, is the way we move. And sometimes, I'll just offer, we face things hard enough that we better not forget. We'd rather face this thing in this life than face God and Him said, oh, i turned back up to God. Paper author does not shy away from making sure that we we get in our mind, this is so important to energize rest. Whatever things it takes to motivate you to enter it, you you do that. Okay, so let's talk about the the point he makes here. lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Again, you can tell how I talk. I, I might have learned a lot of technical stuff in Alabama. I'm not an English major, but we're going to talk about some words here seem to have come short does not say unless you will one day come short of it. There's an indication that you're short of it now. You're not in God's rest now. And you could be because in the first part of chapter 4, verse 3, we just put this up on a previous slide. We who have believed do enter that rest. Do we recognize, and this is kind of the big aha moment of this, if you get nothing else out of my waving my hands and ranting up here today, take this one home. Do we know we're in God's rest right now? That we can be experiencing God's rest right now? If we have believed in the way that God has given us an example for us to believe, we enter His rest. What is that? We'll talk about that in a minute. But whatever it is, we can be there right now. Hmm. That's a big that's a big idea, Mitch. I don't want to jump ahead. You but do. You know dude, you, you, say, it. dude you, you could have you got ahead of me. This um tied in verse one and verse three and the things you've said. It appears that our fellowship with him on this earth is a major, major part of being in his rest because he says, some of you, because you're hardening your hearts, which you'll get to in a few minutes, you're hardening your heart, you may reach the point point of no return. Mm-hmm. And you will not have my rest. You will, We will not be in fellowship with one another. Just like the Israelites reached that point. Yeah. I think that's exactly yeah. it. I think that's ex- exactly 4 verse 9. There remains a rest for the people of God. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's heaven. We understand that. This is here now. There remains a rest one day for the people of God. He didn't say that. He said there remains a rest for the people of God. There is something, and I think Mitch has given you a key word here. There's something about being in fellowship with God that should help us to experience what his rest is. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. And in chapter 4 verse 11, before he talks about that sharp two-edged sword that can do more damage than anything any weapon man's ever figured out how to make, would be more good too, by the way, he says, let us be be diligent to enter that rest. Which I think means, if we are we who are believers, if we're not diligent, we lose it. We can lose the ability to be a rest of God. So it's not something that's just granted when we come out of the water. Though the opportunity is—it's as if when we came out of the water in baptism, we walked across the Jordan like the Israelites should have. But we have to actually start our part of that fellowship. God started His part of that because. As, we, as we'll find out and he talks about in a second. God entered his rest a long time ago. And he's open for having this fellowship, this rest together with man. So does that make sense to you? Is that way out of line? Is that? It's different than any way I've ever thought of it before. It well, was for me, too. So that's, you know, <laughs> I'm still sitting back and, you know, the number of hours I've spent on, you know, looking at this and going, well, if that's what he meant, what, what are we saying? How do I have to talk about this? I mean, it's, it's, but there's no escaping what the words on the page say. And it's like, okay, so the next question we'll get to in a minute is: I'm, am, am I experiencing God's rest? Is a whole different question than do I get the chance to enter God's rest now? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify: it. Um, the verse one at the end, uh, as far as I understand you see, Have uh, any of you, less. Uh, you seem to have come short of it. It seems like he's he's giving them room, saying like, it, it have you or are you going to or have you or might if you do, like, you know, fear lest this may happen type of thing. Does that make sense? Well, it, it does, in, in a way that, that, that I might say this is. I don't think he's implying basically that they that he thinks that they're falling short. Do you, or do you base that well, it into something else? I think I think because they're contemplating leaving Christ, as the as the Hebrews yeah. are, that, that he is fearing that they're about to fall short of it. That in, in fact, remember remember what David said and what the Hebrew writer repeats. When when did the Israelites start falling short? When they got to the banks of the Jordan? <laughs> Before that. What, what, what did anybody remember the phrase? Always. They always fell short. Yeah. They fell short, but they there's a phrase used in chapter four, verse excuse um, me, chapter three, verse ten. They always, like Mitch says, did what? Went astray in their hearts. That's the problem with the Hebrews. They're starting to go astray in their hearts. They're starting to wonder before they've wondered. Feet don't wonder first. Heart wonders first. Was true then. Is true today. Yeah. I think verse 10 is a little bit confusing to me. Following the rest, like when they're talking about, um, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from His. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about his little his works. I'm a little bit confused on what that's referring to then. Like, would that be talking about your whatever was before you followed God, or it's probably I not? Mean, releasing it to God? You've you, you, you probably put a, a highlight on one of the hardest mm-hmm. verses in, the, in these verses to understand. And so I'll give you a sense of, at least where, where my study is on this, and certainly open it up to, to anyone else on this as well. That's connected with the example there of God, God resting from his works. What what had God just done? He created everything. He created, created everything. And what was the last thing God created? Man. Man. And then what did God do? Yes. He entered his rest. And who was with God in his rest when that happened? Jesus. Adam was, right? Oh, well. There was a relationship that, that was there. And so, God had finished His task and had moved on to what he, His real purpose was, to actually have this rest together with man. And I think what verse 10 is saying is, and when we understand that when we leave, when we leave behind not understanding our real purpose, Our real purpose is first when we hear the Gospel, it's to be saved from our sins. But then it's not just to, okay, I'm wet, I'm good. It's I've got to enter this relationship with God. And so we cease from our work, we cease from that task of getting to God's rest, and we actually enter that task of actually experiencing God's rest. There's one way that you might say that. And so since since the bell's hit, I'm going to have to run because I want to touch a couple other things here. If we put together those concepts of God's rest when God rested in Adam, and we actually, it's kind of interesting. I was going to ask you this question, but I'll just get there. We don't read about rest, a seventh day rest again, until we read about it in Exodus. And it's with respect to the manna. Don't gather manna on the seventh day. So they have to trust God that their food would actually last them for two days in, in doing that. And then we find the law Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath, keep the holy. We find a whole set of regulations around the Sabbath of what they're supposed to do. We always think about the Sabbath as they're not supposed to work. Was that what they were supposed to do on the Sabbath? Not work? It's a worship day. That was a day to work on their relationship with God. Well, by the way, every seven years, they had to do what? What else did they give a Sabbath rest to? The The land. How much do you have to trust God to not plant your crops for a year, for a whole nation? Now every 7th Sabbath year, that's every 49 years, what you get to do? Year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Did you get to plant 7th seventh, seventh Sabbath, no crops, the year of Jubilee, were there any crops? You went three years based upon what you had stored up on that. How much did you have to trust God to get you through that? Bye. A bunch. Why did they never enter his rest? They never trusted God enough to do all of that yeah. over and over again. So God's rest is open now because what God's rest is, and I'm just, I, want to, I want you to leave with this and soak on this lesson with these things, and we can add to this as we've been talking around this. In God's rest, he provides our true needs. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, They who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. That's experiencing God's rest. We're going to get sustained in God's rest. We are free from our primary focus being on our physical needs. In this world, do we have them? Yes. If that's where we center our life, then all somebody has to do to shake our faith is to shake up our physical status. Who knows that more than anyone else? Satan. Satan. Think about how persecution has been tried over and over again to shake Christians' faith and how many Christians it has shaken. It was about to shake these Hebrews. When we experience God's rest today, we stop focusing primarily on that. We understand that we are free from sins, oppression, and slavery. It doesn't really matter what man can do. Now, I can say that really easily until somebody's doing something bad to me, but that really is where we have to be. We talked about the peace that comes from this. A focus on fellowship with God. Worship. And sometimes we forget to add to that. Worship is also about appreciation and adoration to God. Understanding what He's given us. And what He's going to give us in heaven is beyond measure. We can't even talk about it. We need to recognize He's given us His rest today. It will sustain us through all this. And contentment. What's Paul tell Timothy? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We could, we could read from Philippians. How do we, we learn to say to live as Christ and die as gain? Have you ever said that yet? Ooh, that's a tough one for me. The live as Christ part I want to get it right, but it's a die as gain. He said to Philippians, you're lucky, 129, it's been granted on behalf of Christ. Not only do you get to believe in Him, but you also get to suffer for His sake. The Philippians, Paul was saying, it's a privilege to suffer for God. How can how we ever look at that as a privilege? Well, if we understand we're in God's rest, and being in God's rest makes us suffer. Okay. It's a privilege to do that. Rejoice in the world always, all the peace that passes all understanding. will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Um, probably went on too long about this, but, but as you could tell, I was, uh, I, I was really whacked in the side of the head by this. And recognizing me, myself, I am not experiencing what God has available for me because, well, I, I think I look at some of this, I don't talk to myself every day and say, I've got the ability to be in God's rest, to be in fellowship with Him, to have Him teach me, to have Him lead me, to have Him comfort me, to have Him give me contentment. I'm in it today. I don't. I want to go to heaven. I don't need to go to heaven to experience all those things. I can experience them right now. But guess who's going to have to change to do that? That's what verses 12 and 13 are about. God's Word is powerful, and we've got to carve out every bit of unbelief at the end of the day. So, lessons is yours. Thank you for being with me today.